All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, welcome to the house. It's good to have all of our Faith Church family here in Florence. It's good to see your faces. Can we show some love and welcome everybody at our Lawrenceburg campus, everybody at our Shoals campus? It's good to see our Faith family there. Come on, everybody watching online, it's good to have you. If you're a VIP, we want to say welcome. If this is your first time either with us personally or online, we're glad you tuned in. But whoever you are, whatever you're going through, we say it every week. Come on, we believe that Jesus, who is he? He's the hope of the world. Again, whatever you're going through, your issue, your hurt, your heartache, your habit, we believe you open up your life to Jesus, it'll be the greatest decision you've ever made. How many people know that's true? Come on. Come on, every week. Come on, let's honor him. Real quick, before we jump into the Word, just want to, uh, man, just honor the house. So thankful for God giving us the opportunity through God's goodness, through your generosity. We had a really incredible week last week. Faith loves making a difference in our community. We bought gas for lots of cars. We fed families hundreds of meals, uh, made an impact into uh, some of our first responders. I know many of you uh, made an impact in your community and made a difference with the Faith Loves Cars. So, uh, man, just I just believe it's, it's what we're called to do. We're called to let our light so shine before people that they'll see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. Uh, the devil's not threatened by you showing up and sitting in a building. He's threatened when you leave here and you go live the gospel out. Come on, somebody. Woo. Um, so listen, man, thanks everybody who participated. And again, thanks for your generosity. You make things like that possible. Also want to remind you that this coming Saturday is first Saturday prayer. Uh, we do this every single month. The first Saturday of the month, we get together for one hour from nine o'clock to 10 o'clock at all of our campuses. And so if you've never been here and you're new to church, new to spiritual things, I'll be honest, hearing somebody pray for an hour would freak me out too. It either freaks you out or you think, I don't have that much to pray about. Uh, we just come, we set an atmosphere through worship, just about five minutes of worship. I'll do a short devotional. And, uh, and then we just, just spend time praying for our church, praying for the leaders God's put in this house, praying for our community and our nation, that God's favor and God's blessing would be here. So I just want to invite you to come and to be a part of it. Again, it's the best hour you can invest in a month in what God's doing here at Faith Church. Amen. Come on, one more time. Let's honor the Lord. Well, listen, we are in the final week of a series we started several weeks ago entitled Gambling with God. And through this series, we've been having this conversation. Week one, we talked about this idea of gambling on God. That in reality, you may not buy lottery tickets and you may never go to Tunica, but we talked about week one that everybody gambles. That living life is a gamble, making every decision you make, business decisions, family decisions, money decisions, that all of those, because it's not certain and you don't know the future, that all of those things really are a gamble. So the best way you can live your life is to gamble on God, is to live the life God's called you to live because he's faithful and he's true to his word. And so to live our life in a God, with God-honoring risk in a God-honoring way is really the best way to live your life, to gamble on God. Week two, we talked about this idea that in our spiritual journey, in our desire to serve God, to gamble on God, to live a God-honoring life, that we have a real spiritual enemy that comes into conflict with this desire to serve God. And we talked about this idea of reading our opponent, that this real spiritual enemy that we have, that uh, it, it creates tension and conflict and temptation and tries to throw us off the path. Ultimately, the enemy wants you to fold your hand. He doesn't want you to trust God. He doesn't want you to serve the Lord. Then last week, we talked about ace in the hole. I love it, the ace in the hole. Everybody shout ace in the hole. Everybody has an ace in the hole. If you're sitting at the table of faith, you're sitting at the big table of life, and you're a Christ follower, the moment you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God's presence comes and lives on the inside of you. We talked about really what that means, and it is your ace in the hole. It is your difference maker. He is your difference maker in your spiritual journey. So I would encourage you, if you haven't, to go back and listen to those messages and get ready to gamble on God. Today... I want to talk about this idea of going all in. Everybody say all in. 
all in in the game of poker means that you literally push all of your chips into the center of the table. You're gambling all of you, all that you have on one hand. If you lose, you leave the table and you've lost everything. But if you win, you win everything. But obviously, we're not here to talk about the game of poker. We're here again talking about the game of life. And when we talk about all in in faith, what I mean is I mean going all in and following Jesus, that surrendering your whole life, everything you have to following this God that's made himself known to us through his son, Jesus, that came and died for our sin. What does it look like for us to live all in? Everybody say all in, all in. Are you living all in for Jesus? I think, all, I think a lot of us, if we're honest, it's, it's not always easy to do. There's lots of challenges. And today, my goal in this message is to maybe push you over the top, that you walk out of this place and you're living at a whole nother level for Jesus. But before we get there, let's talk about Thanksgiving. Anybody enjoy Thanksgiving dinner? Who didn't enjoy because you had to be with people you don't want to be with? Raise your hand if they're not here. Okay. How many of you enjoy Thanksgiving? All right. Come on. It's a good, good time to get together. Let's talk about the food because it's family and food. That's central. On the count of three, just if you could only eat one thing, just one dish, you had to pick all campuses. On the count of three, I want you to shout out the one thing you would eat if you could only eat one thing. One, two, three. <laughs> Cheesy potatoes. Cheesy potatoes right here. Dressing is a close second. All right, but the reality is, we don't, aren't you thankful you don't have to limit it to one thing? Anybody here have so many things like... You didn't eat everything because there was like 27 dishes. My wife fixes food for an army. I'm like, babe, there's not that many of us. More food than we could ever eat. But it's not just about what we eat. Sometimes it's about how much we eat. How many people overate for Thanksgiving? Overate? You still regretting it? Did you know that the average American on the average day eats 3,000 calories? The average American on the average day eats 3,000 calories. The average American on Thanksgiving, just for the Thanksgiving portion of the day, eats anywhere from 3,500, and if you go back for seconds and eat dessert, up to 5,000 calories at Thanksgiving. You're welcome for doing that to your ego so early on a Sunday morning. Some of you are like, I know my parents barely buttoned today. Think about that, 5,000 calories in one sitting. I, I, can, I can probably own that. Shamefully, I can own that. But here's what I started thinking about getting ready for this message is it's not just what we eat and how much we eat, but how we eat it. Because everybody in all of our campuses, Lawrenceburg and Shoals, right here in Florence, really we break into two categories, the way we eat, how we eat. We, we, either, we either put our food and we compartmentalize it or we combine it. Let me tell you what I mean by that. There's some of you in this room, you just combine it and I'm with you. You go through your plate and you, you put some cheesy potatoes and some dressing and some turkey and some ham because we had both at our house. I don't really know why. We had two turkeys and a ham. I, I, don't, I don't understand it. So I had two sections of turkey and some ham. And at some point you run out of space on your plate, but there's still something else you want. And what do you do? Oh, it just goes right on top. It just goes. And my favorite is we have coleslaw. It's not cold. It is cold, but it's not cold slaw. It's cold slaw helping some of you out there. And when you put coleslaw on your plate, it's going everywhere. It becomes the foundation of your entire thing. How do you know? And like, you love it because it's all going to the same spot anyway. It's just doing half the work for you. Now, some of you right now hearing this are like, uh-uh, no, uh-uh, I'm out. Because you're not somebody that combines your food. You compartmentalize your food. You got one of those trays, and if they don't have a tray, you bring your own tray. You got like a little spot for your baked beans, a little spot for your corn casserole. Because how many people here, you don't like your food to touch? All the crazy people, raise your hand. There you go. There they are right there. 
One more time so security can get a picture of you. Wait, just real high, security. Mark them, note them. There they are. That's it. Now, here's what's true, is, and, and, and here's where we're going to go today, is that, is that while some people compartmentalize their food, some people compartmentalize their faith. What I mean by that is the same way you don't like one portion of food to touch another portion, to contaminate, to spill over into another portion of food, I have found that there are times that sometimes in our spiritual journey, we don't want our faith to impact another area of our life. Like we want our faith to be this Sunday morning thing where we know what we're doing on Sunday. We wake up and we, we go to whatever campus we attend to. And we know what the day's going to be. We're going to sing a couple songs. I might lift my hands if I really like the music. I might not if I don't like that song. And then pastor will get up and he'll say it every week. We believe Jesus is the hope of the world. And he'll give a great message because he's a phenomenal communicator. Amen. Amen. That's all right. No, really. And then we'll go home and then like the rest of your week just goes by. But here's what I want you to know is that God never called you to compartmentalize your faith. That this faith we're called should impact and infect and affect every other area of our life. Your faith should affect your finances. If you're spending your money the same way you spent your money now as you did before you came to Jesus, then you got to compartmentalize faith. The way you spend your money, your level of generosity, how you save, how you give, how you spend, how you that should change because faith impacts our money because faith impacts us. Your faith should impact your relationship. It shouldn't be compartmentalized. Well, I love Jesus, but you know, Jesus doesn't really want me dating this dude, but I really like this guy, so I'm gonna give it time to work out. No, our faith should not be compartmentalized. It should be combined with the rest of your life. Your faith should impact your marriage. Your faith should impact your home life. Your faith should impact the way you do business in this world. Because faith, again, it's the parameters of a whole new life. It's not just an addition to an old life to combine our faith, to make it again on an impact. Again, it's this idea of what does it look like for you to go all in in your spiritual journey, to go all in on Jesus, to go all in that who he is impacts you on every single level. Everybody say all in. Are you living all in? Where is it maybe that you're not living fully surrendered in your relationship with God? Where is it in your life that you feel like God is calling you to go all in. Ask another question. What would it look like for you if you went all in and how would it change who you are to live all in? I want to look this morning at a story of, uh, of a guy who went all in. And there's lots of places I could have turned for this message. There's lots of people in the Bible who went all in in following God. Uh, you know, you look at Abraham. Abraham was this man. He gets the, he gets the name as the father of faith because this guy steps on the scene. God picks him out and calls Abraham to leave everything he's familiar with, to leave his family, his father's house, to leave it all and to go to follow God in this new direction. And we see that Abraham goes all in, would be a great example. Elisha, who was the prophet who followed Elijah, maybe you've heard of him. Elisha was so radical in going all in and following God that when he got the call to be a prophet, he was before that, he was living the life of a uh, really a wealthy, a wealthy man, a wealthy landowner. He was his son and he had his own oxen and his own plow. And when Elijah tapped him on the shoulder and said, come and be a prophet, Elisha killed his oxen 
slaughtered his oxen and destroyed everything he had so he couldn't go back. Why? Because he was all in. Everybody say all in. So there's lots of people we could look at that were all in, but I want to look at this guy in the New Testament. He was one of the apostles, one of the 12 apostles of Jesus, one of the disciples, one of the followers, and his name is Matthew. If you have your Bible, uh, I'm going to give you a you can go to any of these places, but the, the story of Matthew is told in the Gospels. Again, the Gospels are the life of Jesus, but because the disciples were associated with Jesus, you get some of their story, some of their background, some of how they started following Jesus. And the story of Matthew, who we know as Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, his story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, how he started. And I'm going to pull from each of these. So we're not going to look at just one section of scripture. We're going to look at kind of a little bit of Luke, a little bit of Mark, and a little bit of Matthew. And so you just kind of have to track along here. In Luke chapter 5 is where his story starts. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. And it says this. Come on, let's read this together. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw... Come on, y'all, got to read this with me. One more time. Come on, every voice, let's lift it up together, all of our campuses. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple. Read that again. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. And so I've talked about, uh, I've talked about Matthew in the past. And you say, wait a minute, you said Matthew, it just said Levi. Well, let me just give you a little clarity here, and I'm going to come back on this. But a lot of people, it was common in this area of the world at this time to have two names, to have two names, to have in the world they lived, it was a Greek-speaking world, and so you would have a Greek name. Matthew's Greek name was Matthew. His Hebrew name, what his mama called him, was Levi. So his upcoming name, his, his home name, where his people knew him, he was Levi, but out in the main world, in the business world, in the tax collecting world, he was Matthew. He dealt with Greek speaking people, so he had a Greek name, Matthew, but his home name one more time was Levi. Same person. It's the same person. Now, we've talked about what it meant to be a tax collector, and we probably hear not many of us love paying taxes. It's getting close to that time of the year. We're almost at the end of the year. I have to start getting taxes ready. Just to let you guys know, Christmas doesn't bother me. Taxes, mm. love, getting, love getting ready for tax season. It's coming. And nobody here, nobody loves tax collectors. Nobody loves the IRS. Nobody says, woo, I wish I had to pay more taxes. But in the first century, the reason tax collectors were hated so bad and they were hated, they had their own category of sin. The Bible talks about, Jesus actually uses this terminology, that there were sinners and tax collectors. Because there were the there were like the regular sinners and then the bad sinners and then the really, really bad sinners and then the tax collectors. And the reason tax collectors were looked down upon so poorly, the reason they had such a bad reputation is because the nation of Israel, Jewish people were underneath Roman occupation. They couldn't do what they want. They didn't have the liberties or freedoms that they wanted. They wanted a Roman occupation. And some of you know this, but what Rome would do is Rome would find nationals. Rome would find people from the area they grew up to represent Rome to collect taxes in that region because they felt like it would be more friendly that you have to pay taxes to a Jew if you're a Jew. And so Matthew gets a job working for Rome, oppressing his own people. He chose the power structure of the day over his own nation. He chose Rome over home. And I'm just telling you, those kind of people, they were hated, not only because they collected taxes, but the way the gig worked, it was a racket, is based on certain ports or based on certain bridges or based on certain roads, you would set up a tax collector's booth. 
And you would sit there and you would tax people for, for crossing your bridge, for pulling into your port or whatever. But you had to send a certain amount back to Rome. So in order for you to make a profit, you would have to, you would have to charge your own people more money. So if the tax was 10%, a tax collector would charge you 15%. They would take five and kick 10 upstairs. Are y'all tracking with me? So to take money from your own people to represent those who are occupying your area, I mean, man, they were despised and they were hated. But here is this guy, y'all got to track with this. Here is this guy who's hated by all his brothers and sisters, who's hated by his community, who is an absolute outcast, who is the worst of sinners. And Jesus walks up to him and says, come on, you can be my disciple. What I've come to tell everybody here today is that it's never too late and you're never too old to follow Jesus. Come on, somebody. This is so, this is so important. This is so important. So here this guy is. He's sitting here. He's collecting money on behalf of Rome. He's getting wealthy on it. And Jesus comes along. Now, you better believe at this point, the ministry of Jesus and the message of Jesus was already spreading. Like Matthew had already heard the name. He had already heard some of the stories. He'd already heard some of the miracles. He was on social media. He was flipping through the stories. He saw people sharing what Jesus had done for them. And here's this same Jesus that walks up and says, hey, follow me and be my disciple. And he gets up and he starts to follow. And this is so crazy because you may not know this, but rock stars of our day, who are the rock stars of our generation? Who are the rock stars of our nation? Well, probably be athletes, Hollywoodites, actors. These are people that our culture idolizes and celebrates. Back in this economy and back in this day, the people who were the rock stars of the day were rabbis, were Jewish teachers. And coming up early as a kid, your highest calling, the best thing that could ever happen to you is for you to get an invitation from a local rabbi to come be their disciple, that that rabbi would teach you their teachings. And maybe one day, if it all worked out, you could become a rabbi too. Like that was the pinnacle. That was the goal was to be a rabbi yourself. Well, there's some point where you're like, I'm too old. The opportunities pass by. You better believe this is Matthew. He's sitting at this booth. He missed the opportunity, missed the calling. Not only did he not become a disciple and a rabbi, but now he get, he's the worst of the worst. And now he gets this invitation. Come on, somebody. He gets an invitation to go follow Jesus. If you're taking notes, you can't appreciate someone's present until you acknowledge their past. Until you know where you've come from, until you know what you've gone through, it's hard to look at somebody. See, most of us who grew up in church, we've read the Bible. We read about this guy, Matthew, that was a disciple. We're like, oh, that's great. No, you don't understand. This guy got to be a disciple. He had no right. He had no, he had no reason. He was too old. He was too far gone. He was too much of a sinner. And that's how some people might look at you and say, you can never follow Jesus. You can never serve the Lord. You can never do anything with your life. But I want you to know something. When Jesus steps on the scene of your life, wherever he finds you, whatever you've been, whatever you've gone through, whatever you've done, it is never too much for Jesus to overcome, to call you to be his disciple and follow him. Come on, somebody. That's amazing. And so watch this. So verse, verse here it is, uh, Luke chapter five, verse 28. Let's everybody read this. So Levi, with this invitation came. So Levi, what did he do? Got up and did what? He left everything and followed him. You know what he did? He went all in. Matthew went all in. He, went, he got up from this tax collector booth and he followed Jesus. You got to get up. Listen to me. You can't, go where you, you, you can't go where you need to go until you leave where you are. Sometimes for life change to start to happen, you got to leave some stuff where you're currently living. You might have to leave some relationships and leave some things you're comfortable with, but this is exactly what Matthew does. Is he gets up and he leaves and he starts to follow Jesus. And the Bible says he left what? Everything. 
Everybody say everything. You got to be culturally relevant. You got to say everything. There's no V in it. It's just everything. So you say, oh, that's ignorant. Well, it's just culture. Just get over it. This is everything. He gets up and leaves everything. Now, you're going to see in one second another verse we're about to read. He didn't leave his house. So how do you decide, if you're going to go all in on Jesus, how do you decide? Are you ready? How do you decide what, what goes with you and what, what stays behind? How do, what is the criteria for what, what you should leave? He left everything. What's the criteria? If it compromises your call, it can't come. If it compromises your call, it can't come. If it, if, it, if it hinders you from following Jesus, you have to leave it behind. If you're gonna go all in on Jesus, there's times you just have to look at everything that's a part of your life and say, if I take that with me, it probably will hold me up. It probably will tempt me. It probably will cause me to turn back. I, it can't go with me. I gotta leave it behind. Come on, does anybody here have something in your life that maybe you need to consider leaving behind in your spiritual journey? I think all of us. And so he leaves everything behind and he goes and he follows Jesus. Now, three things I want you to write these down as I was thinking about some stuff he left behind and because and, I'm a preacher, I've made them all start with the letter I. His identity, his income, and his inheritance. His identity, his income, and his inheritance. Who was this guy again, Matthew? Now, for the Jew, again, he was despised, but the Roman Empire, he had authority. He, had, he was a tax collector on behalf of Rome. He was good friends with Caesar. Probably not, but he thought he was. Like this guy was somebody, when he walked around, he had the backing of the Roman government. Nobody, you know, nobody messes with tax collectors because you, you mess with tax collectors, Roman soldiers will come and mess you up. So he had a swag about him. He had a confidence about him because of the identity he had as a tax collector. But in order to follow Jesus, in order to go all in, there's some stuff you got to leave behind. And one of the things he left behind was his identity. I can't be that person and be a follower of Jesus too. I can't hold on to who I used to be and be who God's called me to be. Sometimes those identities are, 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 are contradictory and you got to choose. And if you're going to go all in on Jesus, who you used to be can't be who you're supposed to be. And so he has to decide, I'm going to get up from this tax booth and I'm going to leave it. He leaves his identity. Now, I told you I was going to mention, and I think this is unique. I told you I was going to talk about his names again. Again, what was his Greek name? His Greek name was, and his Jewish name was, his Greek name was Matthew and his Jewish name was Levi. Now, here's what's interesting as I was reading through these scriptures and looking at what Mark said, what Luke said, and what Matthew said is Mark and Luke called Matthew uh, Levi. When they tell his story, they say Levi left his tax collector booth. When Matthew tells his own story, which by the way, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, you would think he would use his Jewish name. You would think a Jew writing to Jewish people would use Jewish names. But when he tells his own story, he doesn't say Matthew followed. He says, Levi follow, or he, he doesn't say Levi follow. He says, Matthew. So the two guys that should have used a Greek name uses a Hebrew name. And the one guy who should have used the Hebrew name uses his Greek name. And I just, I don't know if this is it or not, but I thought, I wonder if, I wonder if Mark and Luke said, I, I just, I don't choose to see your past. I choose to see who you are now as a follower of Jesus. You need people in your life that can overlook your past. You need people in your life that just don't remember who you used to be, but they know who you are now in Jesus. And I think Mark and Luke had that. I think that when they saw Matthew, they didn't see a tax collector anymore. They saw a disciple of Jesus. But then the flip side, I thought, well, why is, 
Why is Matthew, like, he's got this whole new identity. That's what we're talking about. Why is he still calling himself Matthew? And I think he thought, I'm not going to forget where I used to be. I'm not going to forget where God called me from. I'm not going to forget what he saved me from. Because what's going to keep me all in is to remember what he delivered me from. Come on, somebody. In order to be who God's called you to be, you got to know where you were at and what he brought you from. Everybody shout all in. If you're going to go all in on Jesus, you got to know he's rescued you from something significant. And that's exactly what happens. And so it's not just his identity, it's his income. This guy was rolling in fat stacks. This guy was counting Benjamins. He was the wealthy of the day. He was the elite of the day. The money he made made him especially wealthy. One of the greatest things that Jesus addressed with people, are you ready, was money. One of the things that's spoken against the most in the New Testament, we don't like to hear this in American culture, is money. It's not that God has a problem with money. God wants you to be blessed. I believe that God wants to meet your needs with enough and more than enough. That's what Paul said. The Bible makes it clear that the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and he adds no sorrow to it. I believe God wants to bless his kids. I believe God wants to bless you with more than enough. However, God wants you to have money, but he doesn't want money to have you. And the problem with our culture and our economy is a lot of us, we just don't have money. Money has us, which means we're not making the decisions with our money. The money's making the decisions for us and we're following money. It's getting quiet in here. And in case anybody's thinking about, he's talking about somebody else. I'm talking about this because the room I'm looking at in Lawrenceburg and Shoals, we are the wealthiest 1% of the world we live in. And sometimes it's our income that'll keep us from finding. It's our career path. It's our job. It's, well, if I take that job, I'll never be in church again, but I'll make more money. Is it worth it? And his inheritance. One of the things about being a, a tax collector was that you could take your booth and you could pass it on to the next generation. Once it was yours, unless Rome took it from you, you could pass on this incredible business opportunity to your children, which means... Matthew wasn't just a tax collector. His kids, if he had them, would have been tax collectors as well. What a great business opportunity. What's better to leave your kids, finances or faith? If you can leave your kids $10 million, but they don't know Jesus, or you can leave them a rich, life-giving relationship with the Lord, but you can't leave them any money, what will you leave them? Now, I know the answer is easy sitting in church. Well, I'm gonna leave them Jesus, but is that really how we're living? See, because this cat walked away from all of it. This is who I used to be. I'm walking away from my clout. I'm walking away from my reputation. I'm walking away from my popularity. There goes my identity. There goes my income. Following Jesus doesn't pay much, but it's wealthy. He walked away from his income, and he walked away from his inheritance. I'm just here to tell you today that there is a great example of a guy who was all in on following Jesus. Everybody say all in. Are you all in on following Christ? Now, you may not be sure, because we like to rationalize in our mind where we're at in our spiritual journey. Let me help you maybe to decide if you're all in. When I was, uh, when I was about five years old, my, my mom decided we need swimming lessons. And so me and my two brothers, we went to the local YMCA. I can't do O-H-I-O anymore. It's too, too depressing. So just YMCA now. <clears throat> anyway, so we went a couple times a week. I remember Saturdays we would go and maybe one other day. And we went through their swimming program. You start off as a tadpole. Basically, it's teach you how to not drown, just float, and then how to wade in water. And then they, you just kind of graduate to different stuff. Well, the time came, I don't know, about a month in, five or six weeks in, where we got to go to the deep end, which was kind of cool as long as you're hanging on the side. And then the week came where we got to jump off the lowest platform, the diving platform. 
And I'll never forget thinking about how cool that looked, man, to get up there and jump until you're up there. Anybody know when you're up on something, it always looks higher looking down than looking up? I'll never forget getting on that. I swear that was like nine stories up. I'm going to die for sure. I'm not even sure. Sometimes you can be so high, it looks like I could miss the swimming pool from here. And I remember as like a five-year-old kid looking down and they like, okay, go out there, Steve, go ahead. And I just wouldn't jump. So I went home. My mom's like, what'd you do today? And I was like, well, I can tell you what I didn't do. And I didn't jump off the, the, the platform. That's for dang Skippy. And so every, in, in order to graduate, you have to do what they tell you to do. And so in order for me to graduate to bullfrog or whatever the next thing was, I had to jump off this, this platform. I, I don't remember how long it was. Probably it wasn't as long as I remember, but it felt like months. And I would go and I would like walk out there. And then like the next week I got a little closer and next week I got, and I still didn't get in. But I was getting closer. And then finally, this is so bad. Listen, don't shame me because y'all got your own stories. It got so bad. I remember they're like, okay, listen, you, you have to. I swear these people probably wanted to push me in. But I wasn't going. So finally, they had me hanging. This is a true story. I don't, I don't know if the camera's going to see me. I'm like this, hanging. Y'all can't see this. I need, I'm like this, hanging on the board. My feet are like this far from the water. But I still ain't going in because it looks way too far. And finally, I'll never forget, they had to pry my fingers off the board to get me to fall in. Now, here's the thing. When I fell in, oh, I was like, you could, I, I, couldn't run up, I couldn't run up fast enough and jump off. Once that fear was broken, I was all in. But I want you to know something. For weeks, every single lesson, my, did you jump in? No. Did you jump in? I got closer. I got closer to the end. I, my toes were, I was hanging. I almost let go. But at the end of the day, I wasn't in until I was in. You're not all in until you can talk about getting close. Well, I go to church a little bit more. Well, I, I started reading my Bible this one day. This No, you're not all in until you're all in. And once you're all in, you are all in. Are you all in for Jesus? Are you all in for Jesus? You'll know it because it will change your identity. It could change your income. It could change who you are. It changes relationships. It changes finances. It will change every aspect of your life. And if your life isn't changing, you're not all in because Jesus came to change who we are. Come on, somebody. He will change us. And it's the greatest change that will ever happen. Come on, somebody. Y'all don't know what it took to jump off of that. The older you get... You start thinking, I jump off of that, I'm going to break something. I know everybody's, everybody here is like, you know, 20s and 30s, like, oh, I jump off that and do a backflip. Well, I ain't 20 or 30, so. Everybody say all in. Peter was all in. And then watch this. I, I love this next part. Watch immediately. So he, he starts following Jesus and watch where the story takes us to. It says this, Mark chapter two, this is again, the same story. Mark says this about this guy, Levi or Matthew. It says later, everybody read it with me. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Now, everybody read this next part. You got to read this out loud. Some of you church people are going to have a hard time with this, but you need to know these are the people who followed Jesus. Everybody, everybody read it. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. You know, a lot of, you know, a large portion of people who followed Jesus wasn't church people, but disreputable sinners. They're the people you look at and be like, well, who are they to follow Jesus? Because you're never too old and it's never too late to follow Jesus. Come on, somebody. And so... 
You know what they was having? They was having a kid and play house party. That didn't land well. Some of you need to go back. They're getting ready to do a remake. House party three, baby. It's a house party. Matthew's there, Levi, whatever you want to call him. He's at his house. He's having a party. Ain't no beer at this party because he's a follower now. But still a party. And he invites all his tax collector friends because they got like this little club going on. They were going to form a union, but Rome squashed it. But it's still, and he shows up, all his friends show up, and then he invites Jesus and his disciples. I love this because the first thing that changed about his life was he wanted his friends to know the Jesus he knew. You should want your friends to know the Jesus you know. If, if you really believe that God is who he said he is, that Jesus has done what he said he's done, then we should want to make it loud and clear to those around us. That's one of the ways you're all in is by letting other people know that you're all in. Because I wonder, I started thinking about this. Could you imagine if Jesus walked up to Matthew, had a conversation with him, and Matthew got warm fuzzies and goosebumps, and, but he didn't leave his tax collector booth? But then he's sitting with his friends. Watch this. He invites all his friends over and says, hey, I invited Jesus and his disciples over. Let's, let's have a conversation. He's going he's to ask some questions. We're going to ask some questions. It's going to be great. Let's have a party. Let's have a good time. Can you imagine if his tax collector friends looked at Matthew and said, well, well, how did it change your life? Oh, well, it didn't really change my life. I just think he's very interesting. Can you imagine if they said, well, well, who is this guy? Well, I believe he's the Messiah. You really believe he's the Messiah? Well, how has that transformed you? Have you done anything different? Well, no. I mean, would you be persuaded as one of Matthew's friends? If it didn't change Matthew's life, then why would it change your life? But here's what I want to propose today. If Jesus is who he said he is, then we should be willing to leave everything. And if he's not who he said he is, then we shouldn't leave anything. Let me say that again. If Jesus really is who he said he is, Lawrence Burr shows, then we should be willing to leave everything. What did Matthew leave? He left everything. And if he's not who he said he is, then we shouldn't leave anything. And the problem is a lot of us Go through seasons in life where we live in this gap in the middle. We leave, leave a little something, but we don't leave everything. And then we don't experience the life that Jesus came to bring. And then we blame him for it. Well, I, try, I tried the Christianity thing. I tried Jesus. Yeah, but you tried it on your terms, but try it on his terms where we lay it all down and we follow the one who laid it all down for us. And he says this, Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter nine, verse 11 says this. And when the Pharisees saw it, when the Pharisees, when the religious people saw all the sinners hanging out with Jesus, watch this. When they saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Eating with somebody was the most intimate way to spend time with somebody. So basically Jesus was letting everybody know, these are my people. These are my people. And the religious people were freaking out. Why is Jesus hanging out with such disreputable sinners? And you know why? Because we live in a culture right now, and this probably you've heard this. People say this. If Jesus came to earth today, you know where he would be? He would be in the bar. You ever heard somebody say that? Jesus would, he would absolutely be in the bars today. Maybe. I could see Jesus in a bar. Do you know why? Because he hung out with sinners in it. So that's, that's who you'd hang out with. The problem is when we say that Jesus would hang out at the bar, what we think of Jesus is, we think Jesus is just looking to pile around and make some friends. And if Jesus went to a bar, he's just there to, to grab a beer. I mean, because you can drink, just don't get drunk, right? I'm losing you. That's what the words, I'm not telling you you should drink, but it just says don't be drunk. So Jesus might have a beer, I don't know, 
hanging out with people at the bar. No, that might be where he'd be, he would be, but that's not his agenda. His goal wasn't, a, wasn't a, just a connection. It was, he didn't just want to have a conversation. He wanted conversion. He wanted people to experience real life change. If Jesus steps into your life, it's not just because he wants to hang out with you. He wants to transform, fundamentally, radically change who we are on the inside. We are spiritually dead and he wants to make us alive. We're separated. He, meant, he wants to make us sons and daughters. Come on, he wants to show up and do something so real in our life. He lays it all down for us and we're willing to lay it all down for him. He's not looking just to hang out with you on a Sunday morning. He wants to invite us into a life-giving, transforming relationship with our Savior. And we'll never experience that until we go all in. And then check out this last verse. Verse 12, it says, and when Jesus heard that, when he heard that they didn't like who he was hanging out with, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. What Jesus was saying was that these people need me more than they realize. Because until you realize you're sick, you'll never call the doctor. I have found, uh, and I think this is probably true for a lot of us, is a lot of times we self-diagnose ourselves. We, we, we can tell ourselves what's wrong with us. So much so if a doctor tells us something different, we're like, he's, he don't even know what he's talking about. I mean, he's only went to school for like 20 years, but we're going to go ahead with your five minutes of WebMD. We're going to go with that. And then they prescribe us somewhere like, we don't need that. My, my aunt Teresa told me about this cure back in the day. But the problem is if you self-diagnose, you'll often misdiagnose. And the worst misdiagnosis we have as people is we look at ourselves and say, I'm a pretty good person. And as long as you think you're a good person, you don't need a savior because you don't have anything you need saved from. But once you realize that you're not a good person, you're a bad person, I know we don't like to hear that, but the Bible says that our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can know it? Who can really know the mess that's on the inside of us? There's one person who knew it and came for us anyways. Somebody who knew the mess that was in us and he said, I need to get there because as long as they think they're good. I can't help. But once they realize they're broken, I can show up and be the physician. Jesus came to be the physician because he knew we're sick. He came to be the savior because he knew we're sinners. He came to be the light of men because he knew we were in darkness. He came to be the deliverer because he knew we were bound. Jesus showed up to be everything. Come on, if you're taking notes and you won't go all in on him until you really know he went all in on you. He came and laid it all down. He's not asking you to do anything he didn't do first. Jesus went all in. He came to a dusty, dirty earth, left his place in heaven, walked this place, taught, did miracles, and ended his life on an old rugged cross with nails in his palm, nails in his ankles, beaten. He went all in. He said, I'll do whatever it takes to make you mine. I'll do whatever it takes to change your life. I'll do whatever it takes so we can spend eternity together. And then we look at Jesus and Jesus is like, hey, I... You, I need you to break up with that dude. He ain't no good for it. Come on, Jesus. That's just too much. No. See, the reason we can't experience faith is because a lot of us ain't walk. It's easy to say, come on. It's easy to say yes to God with your lips. Do it with your life. The true test of obedience is how you walk this thing out. And I, I'm here to tell you, I, I, there's times I'm not all in. There's seasons I'm not all in. But what would it look like? How would your life change if you had a Matthew experience? Here's the correct, Matthew wasn't praying for change. 
He probably, just before Jesus, he probably was okay with life. Sometimes you need a change when you don't think you need a change. That's the greatest change you'll ever have. Jesus walks up to a tax collector who has prominence and wealth, connection. He says, hey, come and follow me and be my disciple. And Levi left everything and followed Jesus. And here we are 2,000 years later. If he stayed as a wealthy tax collector, nobody would be talking about him. But because he followed Jesus, here we are 2,000 years later and we know who this cat is. Do you know how the life of Matthew ended? It ended like all the disciples. Maybe you don't know this, but every single one of the apostles was martyred for their faith. History records that Matthew, because he was outspoken against an Ethiopian king, he was ultimately speared in the back for standing up for a standard in his culture and community. He went all in until it cost him his life. Now, in our current society and culture, probably our faith isn't gonna cost us our physical life, but it still costs us life. If you ask the question, Pastor Steve, do I have to go all in? Can I just be okay getting on the diving board? Let me close with one more scripture. I'd like to tell you, I'd like to tell you yes. Just start taking little baby steps. But as your pastor, I wouldn't be honest with you because Jesus didn't say just baby step your way into faith. Here's what Jesus said. Matthew 16, let's read this together and we'll close. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any one of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll find it. And what do you, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth or worth more than your soul? So Jesus, he's like, hey, I know some of you are like, I'm not sure if I'm all in. Jesus like, hey, if you're gonna be my follower, there's like, you can't be hanging from the diving board. You gotta let go. You gotta get all the way in. Jesus isn't just a teacher giving information, but he's the Lord setting expectations. And his expectation is that we're a people who's all in, all in. Are you all in? How many people here maybe need a little nudge and a little push to be maybe more in than you are right now? Lift your hand. I need to be more in than I am right now. Father, for all of us in this room, God, I believe that you call us to a place of surrender. So some of us in this room, some of us in Lawrenceburg or Florence, some of us in Shoals, God, I believe you're speaking distinctly to an area of our life that we're not all in, an area of our life that we're not surrendered in. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will challenge us this morning, God, to take a huge, significant step to go all in in following Jesus. And Lord, I pray, God, that as we let go of our life, that that's where we'll find real life at, is in being a disciple, to following you and living life to the full. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees said amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord.